Hello everyone. Good morning. Good to see you this morning. I would just say well done. It's a good effort getting out in this weather. And so well done. Well done for being here. You didn't have to be. And so I'm grateful. This place would be sad and lonely if it was just Simon and I. And um, I like Simon, but I love it when we're all together. Okay. <laughs> they say you have to get people laughing in like the first 30 seconds, and I wasn't even trying then. You might know or you might not know, but we're not from around here. And, um, but it was, I can't believe it, but it was almost seven and a half years ago that Simon and I dragged our three children from the other side of the world to move to Wellington. And I don't know how many of you have moved cities or moved countries. I look around this room and I think, man, there's so many of you that I know have had big moves in your lives. And how many of you know what it feels like to feel homesick and to long for the familiar and to long for what was and to long for the people that you know and the people who know your story and um, to long for Cadbury's chocolate that tastes normal and to long for like proper fish and chips and to long for sausages that are made of real meat, not like these pork flavoured sausages or pre-cooked, what is pre-cooked about? That's kind of off-putting that all of my memories are food-related, but... <laughs> but I found myself, I did miss other things as well, like I missed our home, I missed the girls' school, I missed the routines that we had, and the church that we were part of, and the people that we knew. But there was a point in our journey, a, a point as we were here, that I realised how pointless it was to long for what was, because... There became a point where I realised that what was didn't exist anymore. Like we sold our home. It wasn't ours anymore. There was no home to go back to. My parents moved to New Zealand. They were part of the life that I missed in the UK. They weren't even there anymore. Um, our friends moved on. You know, things change. Simon's, I remember when Simon's accountancy qualification lapsed. Like, they got to a point where I realised as much as I long for what was, it's not real. It's not real and it doesn't exist. And the reason I share that story is because we're in our final week of a series where we've ended up looking at the book of Hebrews. And this is a letter written to Jews. And I think these Jews were in a similar situation to the one I've just described. Not because they'd moved physically to somewhere, but because they had left the religion of generations before to follow Jesus. And it was actually really hard. And I think probably harder than they thought it was going to be. And they longed for what was. They longed for what they had known and what had gone before. But I think the message of the passage today is that it wasn't real anymore. What they longed for wasn't relevant. What they longed for wasn't even an option now. And so we're going to unpack that a little bit today. You see, these people, these Jews, they were struggling to commit to this new way, this new way of following Jesus. And they were in danger of rejecting Christ. 
They were in danger of rejecting this salvation work that he had done on the cross for them and going back to the routines and the practices that were so familiar to them. And what we've been hearing through this entire series is that the old covenant, the thing they were tempted to go back to was just a shadow. It was just a shadow of what was to come. It was never meant to be the finished product. It was never meant to be the final solution. It was always pointing to Jesus. It was always pointing to the reality of Jesus, the reality of God's presence. And we've, as we've looked at Hebrews in the second half of this ser- series, that's what we've heard about. We've heard how Jesus is the better priest. We've heard about the better covenant and the better tabernacle. And we've heard how Jesus was the better sacrifice. And so this passage that we finish our series in today, it's kind of a cool passage to unpack because it reads to me like this kind of rousing and enthusiastic summary of all that we've looked at over the last few weeks. And it's a passionate encouragement to keep going and to not look back. And I think we can all hear that message, can't we? And so I know that we're a different audience. I'm, I'd be surprised if there were many Jews sitting in this room tempted to go back to the Old Covenant. I don't think that's the situation of many of us today. But I do know that the words of this passage are going to be super helpful for us because they summarize so clearly why we should follow Jesus and how we can do that better how we can experience this life of following Jesus fuller and more vibrantly than we currently do. So we might not be struggling with exactly the same things as they were, but each of us have things in our lives. Each of us have mindsets. Each of us has things that we're believing that are preventing us from living that full and vibrant life that Jesus has redeemed us to live. And I know he desires us to live that life. And so I'd love it if we could lean in this morning and pick up some little bits of advice that maybe we could put into practice in our lives to, um, to, f- to find and experience some of the fullness that Jesus has saved us for. And this passage today, it kind of reminds me of a, like a team talk in a sports game. You know, maybe like at halftime in rugby, Um, The team get together in the changing rooms, and I don't know who does it, because I've never played rugby, maybe the coach or the manager, like, gathers everyone around, and that's the moment, isn't it, where he inspires the team, and he encourages them, and he says, focus on this, and do this, and don't do that, and let's go, we can do this, and that's what this passage is today, and that's where I think we can learn, because we are in the middle of the game, aren't we? And I think, I don't know about you, but there's been some rough moments. There's been some moments where I think, man, we are losing. (laughs) There's been some moments where I think we're winning. And this is a moment where we can gather as a team and hear some encouragement and inspiration to keep going. So that's what I want you to have in your mind as we read this morning. Um, I was inspired when Isaac came a few weeks ago, Isaac Shaw from India, and he talked to us about the preciousness of this word. I don't think we realize the privilege it is that we get to carry this around, that we can each have a copy of this, that I can put it in my handbag, that we can have multiple copies in our homes. And so I wonder if as I read the word of God this morning, if we could stand. You're welcome to stand now. And the words are going to be on the screen. 
I just want us to realize that the significance of these words, this is God's word to us. We're reading Hebrews 10 from verse 19. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering, Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And, but my righteous one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Let me just pray for a moment. Father, we thank you for these words. We thank you for the insight they give us into who you are and into the life that you're calling us to live and into all that Jesus has opened up for us. And I pray now that you'd help us. Would you open our ears, soften our hearts to hear what it is that you want to say to each one of us today. We want to be changed. We want to be more like you. We want to experience the fullness of the life that you have saved us to live. So we give you this time now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Take a seat. I know it was a long passage, and I know it sounds slightly confusing, maybe, hearing it all like that, like bombarding, but I'm going to just, I wanted to read it all because I haven't got time to unpack it all, but I want to give us a sense of what this passage is talking about. But if we imagine now it's half time and we're in our team talk, okay? And so the writer is trying to persuade these readers that Jesus is worth sticking with. You know, this Jesus way is worth following. 
this is worth doing. And so the first paragraph is this amazing summary of the difference that Jesus has made to the way that they can relate to God. And with the Old Covenant, everything in the Old Covenant reminded them of the separation that existed between them and God. They had this tabernacle that we've heard about with a curtain that separated them from where God's presence dwelt. And only one person, once a year, could go in to where God was. And the sacrifices and the rituals, they all reminded them of how they fell short of God's standard. They reminded them of the separation. They reminded them of how they couldn't draw near. And so these descriptions of the way that Jesus has made for them to relate to God are almost inconceivable compared to all that they had known for so long. And this encouragement will be helpful for us as we try and live for Jesus as his followers, as it was to these guys, because it's an encouragement for us to come close to God. And just as much as they needed to draw close to God, we still need to draw close to God. And so we still need to hear that encouragement today. And there's two phrases I just want to pick out here. The first phrase is this. It says, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place. We have confidence to enter the most holy place. That place that was partitioned off, that only one person could go in once a year. We have confidence to enter that place. And the second phrase I want to draw out is, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and the full assurance that faith brings. That phrase, full assurance, it means certain confidence. Certain confidence to draw near to God. So considering for them that coming close to God was something no one could ever do before Jesus, apart from that one special priest, the writer is communicating a lot of confidence here, isn't he? For something that was pretty scary for these people. And I was thinking about confidence and I was thinking about times in my life when I felt confident and maybe a time when I felt the most confident that I have felt. And I would have loved to have had a sporting analogy to tie in with my team talk thing, but I'm not really a sporty person. And I never felt very confident playing sport because I couldn't do it very well. So my story is about my wedding day. And I think, looking back, I think that maybe was the most confident I've ever felt. And the reason was, you know how normally when you go out, and maybe ladies, you can, um, what's the word? Relate. It's a good word. Relate more than the guys here. But like when I get ready to go out, I put my clothes on and I think, oh, I don't know, I don't know if I feel okay in this. And I'll say to Simon, what do you think? Do I look okay? And the way I feel is directly proportional to the speed in which he answers me. You know, like when there's just that pause that's just slightly too long and whatever he says, the pause has communicated to me, no, you don't look good. And Simon's sitting here going, this is so unfair, how can I win? But it's just fact, that's just how it is. And I think about all the times I go out, I always feel like that, like, oh, I'm not like entirely happy. But I remember on my wedding morning, I was entirely happy. I felt fully prepared. I knew that I had done everything that I could do to prepare for this day. And I was so excited about what I was entering into. I was so excited to see Simon inside of that church. I was so excited to enter into this life together with him. And I felt like I had prepared everything. 
And it's that confidence that I think it's talking about here. That confidence that I felt because I knew I'd done everything to be ready. I felt the best that I could be. We heard last week from Simon, that's what Jesus does for us when we come to God. Even if we come feeling so inadequate and so um, not good enough, however we come to God, we come with a confidence because we know when God looks at us, if we have put our faith in Jesus, he doesn't see all that we've done, but he sees all that Christ has done. Wow. How much more confidence could you have in a moment than coming into God's presence knowing he sees Jesus when he looks at me? He sees Jesus. And I want to encourage you this morning, you know, for these guys, I think they struggled with this drawing near to God because the God that they knew was this fearsome, um, awesome, holy God You think of the stories they had of Moses and the stories that I've preached from in this series, like the burning mountain and the smoke and the fire and the earthquake and and just the fear that came with God's presence. That's what they were thinking when they were thinking drawing near to God. And so they had to overcome that. They had to know, I actually am okay to come into that God's presence because Jesus has made me good enough. But I wonder for us, That might be the issue that you wrestle with. You might wrestle with that, I don't feel good enough. But I wonder for us sometimes the issue we have is we don't realize how great God is. And we don't have the urgency or the desire to come into his presence sometimes. We're kind of like apathetic, like, yeah, you know, I could come near to God or I could not. I think there's something we need to hear today from this message that God is the same God that these people worshipped. He's the same fearsome, holy, almighty, powerful God. But because of Jesus, we can come confidently through the curtain into the most holy place. And I wonder how often we do that. I wonder how often you, in between Sundays, intentionally go, yes, I'm going to draw near. I'm going to come close to God. Because do you know what? When we look at Moses and what he experienced when he came close to God, his face was changed. His face was radiant after being in God's presence. Like he knew God more after being in his presence. He asked God for things and God did those things for him. Like things changed when Moses went and met with God. And I wonder what our expectation is. And I think if we had a right expectation of what happens when we come close to God, we'd do it more. So I want to encourage you this morning, if you feel far from God, ask yourself the question, when was the last time I drew close to God? When was the last time I came with the confidence that having faith in Jesus gives me and came right in to his presence with expectancy about what he wants to do in me? I've totally gone off my notes now, so. Um, So we're in the team huddle, okay, half time. And this is the first thing the coach has said, like, you need to come close to God, okay? If we're going to win this, you need to come close to God. The second thing our coach is saying is, you need to love people. You need to love people. Verse 24 says, um, 
Verse 24, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. That word spur, it means it's um, incite, which I thought was really interesting because we tend to use the word incite for something negative, don't we? Or that's, that would be my understanding, like incite violence or incite anger. Um, another word would be provoke. That's the sense of this here, that we're meant to be inciting love and good deeds, provoking each other to love and good deeds. And I wonder if you just think for a minute about the person in your life who has most encouraged you to change. The person in your life who has most encouraged you to change a behaviour, the way you do something. When I think about the people in my life who have most encouraged me to change, the reason they have, they have been um, successful is because they are already living it. They are already doing the thing that I am then encouraged to do. And so I was challenged about this. You could read, let us consider how we may spur one another on. And that could be quite um, independent of myself, couldn't it? I could think, oh, how can I help Vaughan to love people better? What can I do? You know, how am I going to drum this into his head that he needs to love people and do good deeds? But actually, I think we are going to be more effective if we think, how can I love people? How can I do better at doing this? Because when I live this out, I am going to be an encouragement to the people around me. And that is going to be the most effective way that I can spur them on. And the interesting thing about this is this word love is agape. It's that God love word. It's the love that's undeserved. It's the love that costs us. It's the love that is sacrificial. And I think sometimes we underestimate what it takes to love like that. Because the Bible gives us a definition of that love. It's in 1 John 3.16. And it says, this is how we know what love is. That Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. I don't know that I love people like that. Not very often. You know, sacrificial means not out of the surplus. It means to give up something in order to do that. And I wonder how much we seek to love people out of what we have left. You know, yes, I'll help this person because I've got some spare time. Yes, I'll give this person something they need because it's spare in my life. Yes, I'll give this person some money because I got a bonus. I wonder how often we love people sacrificially. I wonder how often we give up something in order to bless another person. And the thing that I've been most challenged about when I have been pondering this is, I think the most valuable thing that we can give people often is our time. And are we not a time-poor society? Don't we pride ourselves in being busy, in having full schedules, full calendars? It's become a trophy for us, and I feel really convicted about that as I've prepared this message. You know, I heard um, there's a guy called Kerry Newhoff. He does a Christian leadership podcast, and he said... Um, I don't know, it's, this isn't a quote, this is just my memory from something I heard from him. So he said, don't ever say, I don't have time ever again, 
because actually you and I have the same amount of time as every other person who has ever lived and every other person who will ever live. So I don't have time is not true. Actually, what we should say is, I'm choosing not to make time for that. And I want to set that challenge for you today to say, to never say again, I don't have time. And the reason I set that challenge for you today is you wait till the next time someone asks you to do something. If you're not allowed to say, I don't have time, you actually have to say, I'm not willing to make time for that. Man, it highlights the attitudes of our hearts, doesn't it? And it means we have to be owners of our time. You know, we were taught when we did pre-marriage, yes, budget your money. Budgeting your money is really important, but budget your time because it is not limitless. Sometimes we live like our time is limitless and we wonder why at the end of the year we're exhausted and can barely get out of bed in the morning. It's because we live like time will never end. And we just keep saying yes to things and we just keep thinking we can do more. And I wonder this morning if God would challenge us to take a serious look at what we're spending our time on and to take ownership of that. Not so that I would have more time for Facebook or I would have more time for my hobbies, but so that I would have a better idea of what I need to give up in order to love other people well. So that we can love with this agape love where I sacrifice something to bless another person. So the team talk's going well, guys. <laughs> I don't know if you're feeling this. The coach wants us to succeed. He's laid out the things that we need to focus on. We need to come close to God. We need to love people with this agape, sacrificial love. And then you've got the whole middle section of the passage here that might have freaked you out a bit that talked about judgment and fire and if you keep going on sinning then there's no sacrifice. I just want to touch on that for a moment because I don't want to leave you confused. Hebrews 8.13 says this, By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. Jesus came and fulfilled that old covenant. He fulfilled it. And so it says here, then he instated a new covenant. That is the new covenant that we relate to God through, that we have spent weeks learning about now. And it says here in this verse that by calling this covenant new, he made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. You know, like I was saying at the start about wanting to go back to the UK, what I longed for didn't exist anymore. And this is what the writer is trying to help these readers understand. What you long for doesn't exist anymore. This isn't an option. You can't go back to the old covenant. And some of the imagery in here is powerful. He's saying, if you go back to the old covenant, it's like you're saying, no, Jesus, I don't want your sacrifice. It's like you're trampling Jesus under your feet. It's like you are calling his blood unholy. What's the other thing? Rejecting something, the spirit of grace. Like, this was powerful. Simon talked about how sin last week is the rejection of God. This is what he's warning them. Do not reject Jesus. Because without Jesus, there is no other sacrifice for sin. And if you reject Jesus, then what happens is you face God at the end and you account for your own sin. And you face the judgment for your own sin. And that's what he's saying. That is not the place you want to be. 
He says that here, it's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But that's where you need to hear and remember again the confidence that we have. When we are covered by the blood of Jesus, it's not a dreadful thing to come before God because we come holy and pure and clean. And that's something to celebrate. So the reason that part is in the middle is saying, keep going, keep going. This is how you're going to keep going, following Jesus. Don't go back. There's nothing to go back to. It's really bad. Don't go there. Stay with Jesus. And then finally, the, fir- the last paragraph is, and the same is the same of any good team talk. It's keep going. You can do it. And that is the end of this passage. You know, you've got statements in here like, hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. It's like, hang on, you can do this. God is faithful. The final paragraph is reminding them they've actually persevered through some really hard times. It's suggesting they've had persecution. They've had persecution. Some of them have been in prison. They've had things confiscated from them. And they've stood through that. It's an encouragement. You've been there. You can do this. You've got this. Jesus is coming back soon. Don't give up now. It's an encouragement. And do you know, you might not have faced persecution. You might have done. But this is still an encouragement to us. Because our faith is proved by the way that we live. And our faith is proved that if at the end we're running well. And so this is an encouragement to every one of us. Keep going. Keep running. Keep pushing on. Keep pushing forward. The last verse in here is, but we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. The contrast there is, if you have faith, you're not shrinking back. And so that says to me that if we're people who have faith in Jesus, we're people who are pushing forward. I think sometimes we get disheartened because we thought that following Jesus was going to be like a stroll through the park on a sunny day. We thought it was going to be all fun and enjoying like God's love and looking forward to heaven and it was going to be amazing. But so much of the New Testament uses pictures like running a really long race or a battle. Like this is meant to be effort. This is meant to be hard. And so this encouragement is push in, lean in, hold on, keep going, don't give up. Jesus is coming back and it is going to be worth it in the end. That is our team talk. And I hope it's been an encouragement to you today. But I saw something on the news this week that I just wanted to finish with. That sounded really serious, didn't it? Can you put the slide up, Sam? It is quite serious. A lottery winner misses out on big payday after leaving $22 million ticket unclaimed. This was an American lotto, and you have 18 months to claim it, and that 18 months had passed. And so whoever won that 22 million, they're not the winner anymore. The reason I thought of that as, we, as I was just preparing for this morning, though, was we feel gutted for them because they haven't accessed what was available to them, Right? But Jesus paid the most expensive price. He gave his life for you and for me. And if we don't claim that, wow, that's so much worse than what that story is. And I felt gutted about that. 
how much more should we feel gutted about people not claiming what is available to them? You know, this message, it should spur us on to live for Jesus, but it should spur us on to share this message with the people who don't know him yet too. But I want to encourage you this morning, if you're here today and you haven't put your faith in Jesus for salvation, I want to say don't delay. Don't miss out. Don't wait too long and have any regrets. But today is a moment you can say, yes, Jesus, I believe. I want to follow you. I want to enter this team. I want to come and be part of these people who are going to help me on this journey and encourage me to get there. That's my encouragement to you today, if you haven't yet done that, to do that. But I wonder for many of you who have put your faith in Jesus and have received salvation, but you know you're not living in the fullness of what Christ has redeemed you for. You're not experiencing the fullness and the freedom and the richness of this life that Jesus has for you. And so I want us to respond this morning. We're going to worship. I think we've got a few minutes left time for a song. But I want to encourage you just to stand. And I'm going to lead us in a prayer as we respond. And then we're going to worship Jesus because he's awesome. Like, the only reason I could preach this message is because of what Jesus has done for us. And that is an amazing thing. But maybe you want to close your eyes this morning and just think about what it is that God has been speaking to you about. And maybe for you, it's a response to Jesus for the first time to say, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to receive salvation and I want to live my life with you as my Lord and my Savior. Maybe that's you today. But maybe there's something else that you've been challenged on this morning. Maybe it's about drawing close to God. Maybe it's about loving others and good deeds. Maybe it's about something different. But I want to encourage you, if if you know God is stirring something in your heart this morning, would you just do something physically to show that? Maybe you want to put your hands out or put your hands up or you might want to kneel down or whatever it is. Would you just stand in a posture to receive? And I want to pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for what you've done for us. I thank you, Jesus, that we can come just as we are with all our baggage and all our mistakes and all our imperfections. And because of you, we can come with confidence into the presence of God this morning. And I thank you that you see every person here. I thank you that you're the one that's been speaking into their hearts. And so I really, I'm just standing with, alongside what you've been doing and I'm saying amen to that, God. Amen to what you're doing in our hearts. And I want to seal that, God. I want to pray your blessing on that. I want to pray that you continue to lead us and to work in our hearts and to change us. And Lord, I pray for anyone in here this morning who's saying yes to you for the first time. I want to say, welcome to the family of God. And I want to say, Father, would you pour your spirit out on them now? Thank you for forgiving them. Thank you for giving them a new start. Thank you for welcoming them into your family, into this team. And I pray that you'd strengthen them to live their lives for you, following you with everything that they have. So we commit ourselves to you this morning. And now... Jesus we look to you and we say we love you and we worship you and we're so grateful for who you are and what you've done in our lives 
We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.